Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you have one this morning with you, uh, to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. If you're new to City Church this morning, uh, or if you're just joining us by our podcast or our app, we are in a series from the first half of the book of Mark in the New Testament, and the first half of the book covers three and a half years in the life and ministry of Jesus. We're trying to understand in this series who the historical Jesus was from first-hand accounts of his life. And I think what this passage that we're going to look at this morning uh, is going to teach us about the historical Jesus is going to surprise some of you. And I think what it's going to teach about how we can change the city of Evansville, I think it's going to convict some of you. So some of you it's going to surprise, some of you uh, it's going to convict. Uh, I want to thank Craig Austin just a moment ago for reading the passage uh, for us. Would you show your appreciation to Craig? I think he did a great job. Uh, Since Craig read the passage for us, I'm not going to read the whole thing today, uh, but I will highlight specific portions of the passage that I want to comment on, okay? This passage is fascinating to me because it's about a time that Jesus traveled, verse 1 says, that he traveled to his hometown. It says he left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. He goes back to the place where he grew up, to the people that he grew up with, Uh, who helped raise him, some of whom were related to him, some of him probably coached him in Little League Baseball, showed him where to line up in Pee Wee football, they taught him a trade, people that he went to synagogue with. He goes back to his hometown, and he gets invited to teach in his hometown synagogue, which uh, had to be exciting for everybody in the city. But what is so remarkable about the passage is that these people, verse 3 says, took offense at him. People in his hometown took offense at him. The Greek word is actually the word scandalon, from which we get the word uh, scandal. They were scandalized by Jesus. Now, to be scandalized, to be offended, according to the Bible, is not just to disagree with what somebody says or does, but is, it is to be vis- uh, viscerally, uh, to viscerally reject someone. Uh, to be hostile to them, to feel hostility toward what someone said or what someone did. Here in his hometown, Jesus evokes visceral rejection and hostility. I wonder if that surprises you. You know, it's interesting to me, sometimes when people uh, who are skeptics about the Bible, perhaps you are a, a skeptic this morning, Sometimes what people do is that they say, well, these stories in the Bible, they're just legends. They were legends that were written to support Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, to build momentum for his cause. But let me ask you something. If you were just writing a legend, if you knew that you were just telling a legend, writing, composing, formulating a legend to get people excited about Jesus' claims, would you include that his hometown was offended by him? Would you do that? Of course not. Of course not, okay? But here we find people in his hometown viscerally rejecting Jesus and hostile to him. And I wonder if that surprises you. One historian and biblical scholar wrote this about Jesus, a guy by the name of J.P. Meyer. He said, what is beyond dispute is that in the ministry of two or three years, Jesus of Nazareth attracted and infuriated his contemporaries. He mesmerized and alienated the ancient world, unleashed a movement that has done the same ever since, and thus changed the course of history forever. 
It's interesting, isn't it? So this morning, let's start with this point as we seek to understand the historical Jesus. And this is what I think will surprise some of you to your core. And here it is. Jesus is offensive. And I wonder if that surprises you. Jesus is offensive. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, that is not uh, altogether a new concept for you. We saw way back in chapter 3 that Jesus offended the civic and the religious leaders of Jerusalem. Those were the kind of the elites of Israel. Also in chapter 3, we were told that uh, both the Herodians, who were the liberals, okay, and the religious leaders, who were the conservatives, were so offended by Jesus that these two groups who normally never had anything to do at all with one another plotted together to kill Jesus. So we've got the elites, we've got the liberals, we've got the conservatives, and then we come to Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. This is a very small town, by the way, that we know almost nothing about because it was so unremarkable. These are simple people. They are grassroots people. They are humble people who had known Jesus since he was a child, and they're offended at him too. So the liberals, the conservatives, the elites, and the small town people are offended by Jesus. That's everyone. Look, there's nobody left that Jesus could offend. He's offended everybody so far. But wait a minute. How how can that be? How can it be that all of these people, all of these groups who are so different, how can it be that they, they can all be so offended by Jesus? These groups... Some of them hate each other. How can all of them come together in one common thing and hate Jesus? How is that possible? And the answer to that is that Jesus, while he does offend everybody, he does it in different ways. He offends people in very different ways. In other words, uh, every one of these groups have a different reason for why they're offended at Jesus. And this is, I think, very important for you to understand. Okay, For instance... Let me give you some examples from today. If you tell an upstanding, hardworking, moral member of this community that Jesus says that she's a sinner with no better standing before God than a prostitute, she'll be offended. Okay? Tell a middle-aged man whose wife just left him for another man that Jesus says to forgive her and to forgive the other man, and he'll be offended. Tell a young woman today that Jesus wants authority over her sex life, and she'll be offended. Tell a liberal college professor that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world, and he'll be offended. You see, Jesus is offensive uh, to everyone in different ways, but he's offensive to everyone. And what this means is that there is no people group, there's no class of people, there's no region of the world where people are more likely more naturally going to receive Jesus than any other. Jesus offends everyone. He even offends you and me, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. He even offends you and me, but he does it for different reasons. The reason he offends you is different than the reason that he would offend me. He offends everyone for different reasons, okay? So, okay, here's what we've got so far, that Jesus is offensive. That's the first point this morning, and he's he's offensive to everyone in different ways. But here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute now, and I want to try to understand what specifically offended people in this small town, what offended them, people in Jesus' own hometown, what offended them about Jesus. And I want you to notice 
what they say about Jesus in verse 3. And, and, and what they say about him, what offends them, what they say about what offends him, comes in the form of a few very loaded questions. Notice what they say. Where, uh, verse 3, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Underline that, Mary's son, because, man, uh, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Mary's son. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, what's going on? What is it? You know, how would you summarize what is going on in these questions what, that he's so offended by? One commentator on the Gospel of Mark put it this way. William Lane uh, wrote a commentary called the Gospel of Mark. He says this, Their discernment could not penetrate the veil of ordinariness that surrounded him. Their discernment could not penetrate the veil of ordinariness that surrounded Jesus. Okay, so here's what these people were offended by. Jesus' hometown was offended by his ordinariness. That's what they were offended by. His ordinariness. He's just so ordinary. And I want to ask you, you know, really, seriously, can you blame them? I want you to think about this for a moment. For instance, look at the people that we elect for political office in the United States. In fact, look at the people who are running uh, for the presidency right now, for example. Not a one of them, no matter how hard they try to convince you that they are, not a one of them are just ordinary people. We have a former first lady. We have a congressman. We have a former executive uh, CEO of Hewlett-Packard. We have a billionaire. We have governors. Where's Joe the plumber? Where's Keith the carpenter? Where's the farmer in the presidential debates? Where are those people? Of course, we don't elect ordinary people to the most powerful position on the planet. Do you really think that these people in Jesus' hometown, do you think these people who had long expected a Messiah, by the way, not just a president, these people had long awaited a Messiah, who's more than a president. He was to be the king of kings, the savior of Israel, the deliverer of the world, God in the flesh, the one who would need to conquer the massive Roman Empire, whose name would last forever, to whom the whole world would bow its collective knee. Do you really think these people expected a small-town hick to be the Messiah? You really think that? Would you have expected that? Hey, the Messiah lives in Boonville. Would you, have been, would you have been offended by that, perhaps? Yeah. The idea was absolutely offensive to them. And I want you to know that it still is. The ordinariness of Jesus still offends people today. Today, it's really more the ordinariness of Christ's message that offends people. And, and here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> I mean that it is... It's offensive to people to hear that everyone is on the same level before God. That's that's offensive to people, that everyone is a sinner. Everyone is lost. And that the only way to be saved is by sheer grace. And do you know why that's so offensive? Because it offends human 
pride. That's why. There's this great story in the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. You don't need to turn there. I'll tell you about it. You can go back and read it later. It's about a great Syrian general who had uh, come down with leprosy. And he'd heard about the great God of Israel, and uh, he decided he was going to go to the God of Israel, and he was going to go to the God of Israel's prophet, Elisha, to get healing. Okay? So he took everything that he thought that he would need in order to get it. He took, he took a lot of money, kind of took his, he kind of took his resume with him, uh, letters of recommendation from the king of Syria, from the prime minister. And he also brought his sword in case God would say, uh, in order to heal you of leprosy, in order to save you from leprosy, you must do a great act of prowess, some great deed in order to win your salvation. You know, go slay that great dragon on yonder mountain or something along those lines. But when he gets there, what's fascinating is that the prophet Elisha doesn't even come to the door to see this great Syrian general with this great resume that he has and all of this money. He doesn't even come to the door. He sends his messenger to the door and he says, he says you want your healing? He says, go into the Jordan River and wash. Which makes Naaman furious. And in tremendous anger, he, he leaves the prophet's house and all of his servants go after him. Uh, all of, all, all of uh, Naaman's prophets go, excuse me, his servants go after him. And they're saying to him, Master, Master, why are you so upset? And what he's so upset by, you see, is the ordinariness of the prescription. In other words, in other words he's asking, he's saying, are you, are you saying... My money doesn't mean anything? Are you saying my sword doesn't mean anything? My accomplishments on my resume, they don't mean anything? Any idiot can go wash in the Jordan River. Are you trying to say I'm on the same level as everyone else? And the servants beg him to reconsider. They say, Master, Master, if the prophet had told you to do some great deed, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash... And be cleansed. You see, he expected to be asked for a great deed, for a contribution or something. And, and that, all of those things would have been fine with him. That would have been a salvation that would have fit his ego. You see, then he could have, he could have said to himself, I, I don't need anybody's charity. I just need a chance to show that I can do something great and put things right. It's the ordinariness of Christ's message of salvation by grace that is so offensive. It levels Naaman. And he knows what that means. It means a prostitute could do that, could wash in the Jordan River, as well as a man of moral virtue and great accomplishments like himself. Everybody is on the same level. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody is lost, and everyone can be saved only through sheer grace equally. And he hated that. It offended his pride. You see, it's, it's the ordinariness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that offends everyone. And it offends the part of your heart that's making the world a miserable place to live in. That place in your heart that is so full of pride. 
It offends the part of your heart that needs to be challenged. And if it's not challenged, there's no hope for the world. Do you see it? you see what it is? It's the ordinariness of Jesus Christ that offends people because it shows us a salvation that offends everyone's pride. The people in Jesus' hometown are so offended by Jesus' ordinariness that they don't even bother to bring their sick and their demon-possessed to Jesus. That's what the text means when it says that he couldn't heal many people there. It doesn't mean, I want you to understand, it does not mean that because they didn't believe in Jesus, because they didn't have faith in Jesus, that somehow that sucked the power out of him, that, that Jesus could only do uh, miracles in the presence of someone's faith. Jesus can do miracles regardless of anyone's faith. It's just that they didn't, because they didn't believe in him, they didn't bring anybody to him. That amazed him. That's, what, that's all that the text means, okay? So when verse 5 says that, please understand that it's not that somehow faith empowers Jesus. It's just that if you don't have faith, you don't care enough to bring your sick and your demon-possessed uh, to Jesus, okay? That's how offended they were by him. Now, I want you to listen to me on something. I want you to listen to this. If you, man, like I said, you know, I probably say this every week, you know, like, listen to me on this. If you don't listen, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Here, here's what I want you to remember. Make sure you listen to this. If you have not wrestled, like really wrestled with the offensiveness of Jesus Christ, you really don't understand the gospel. Let me just say that again. If you haven't really wrestled with the offensiveness of Jesus Christ, And his message that everyone is a sinner and that the only way that you can be saved is by grace. If you haven't wrestled with that, you really don't understand uh, the gospel. And Jesus isn't going to be able to really do any great miracles in your life. And by that, I don't mean like, you know, great healings and all of that. Although, you know, certainly Jesus can do those things. What I mean is to transform you into a prideful, self-centered individual into a humble, other-centered person. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Perhaps that's the biggest miracle that can ever be accomplished in a person's life. If you haven't wrestled with the offensiveness of Jesus, is that, if that hasn't hit you, if that hasn't hurt your pride in some way, you really don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it attack your pride that says, I don't need anyone's charity. Let it attack your ego that says, I'm different, I'm better, I'm not like everyone else. Wrestle with that. Let it hurt you. Let it sting. And then you'll begin to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you'll be able to see Christ do some incredible things in your life and through your life. What the people in Jesus' hometown were offended by was his ordinariness. And that's what people today are offended by. The ordinariness of his message. That all of you and me, we're all the same. You may have done enormous things for the city of Evansville. You may have given enormous amounts of time for the city of Evansville. You may have given enormous amounts of money for the city of Evansville. Guess what? The girl that dances at one of the strip clubs in Evansville, you're no better than she is in God's eyes. Uh Uh-oh. 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 
You may know the Bible very well. Man, you've been studying it for many years. You've been in Bible study fellowship. Man, you know your Bible. You pray on a regular basis. Like you pray a lot. In fact, you tell a lot of people how much you pray. You fast on a regular basis. You go to church. You lead discipleship groups. Guess what? The guy who goes to the strip club, who enjoys the women who dance in the strip club, you are no better than he is. Oh my goodness, you are going to go home so mad today. That's okay. Let it sting you. That's offensive. That's why the people in Jesus' hometown were so offended by him. Last point. Last point. In the last part of this passage, Jesus sends his disciples out, and he sends them out in a manner that replicates how ordinary he is and his salvation is. He tells them, he says, you know, don't get all dressed up. Don't draw attention to your flamboyance. Don't go out with a war chest full of money. Go out in a way that doesn't call attention to you. And he says in verse 11, He says, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Now, what does that mean? Well, it it means that, that Jesus is preparing his disciples for the same rejection that he receives. This is just an ancient Near East way of saying, look, I've told you what you need to know, and now you're responsible for what you do with the information. It's not on me anymore, okay, because I told you. That's what that meant. Jesus wants them to understand that they're going to be rejected for their ordinariness too, for their message, uh, for representing Jesus. Even though Jesus gives them his authority over evil spirits, and even though they go out and preach, uh, preaching, and verse 13 says that not only did they preach, but they did things. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people. They healed them. In other words, they're meeting needs and they're ministering people. Even though they're doing that, Jesus wants them to know uh, and to understand they're going to be rejected. So understand this. Understand what's happening. On the one hand, these disciples of Jesus are going to be very attractive to people. Okay, On the one hand, they're going to be very attractive to people. They're humble. They minister to people. They heal the sick. That's a good thing. That would be attractive, right? And Jesus is saying to them, you should be incredibly humble, have incredible integrity as it relates to money, go out loving people, go sacrificially serve people, heal their sick. And in that sense, you're going to be incredibly attractive to people. But on the other hand, you're still going to be telling people that I am the only Lord and Savior of the world. And that is going to be very offensive. Now here's what this means for us and here's my last point this morning. It's this. Following Christ makes you attractive to some and it makes you offensive to others. Following Christ makes you attractive to some and it makes you offensive to others. And boy, this is where I want you to to focus in too. I want you to get this as well. If you are never offensive, if you never experience visceral rejection and hostility for your Christian beliefs or your Christian practices, if you never experience that, you're being a coward as it relates to your faith in Christ. 
if no one ever is offended by you, by what you say, by what you do, by the way you live your life, you're being a coward as it relates to your faith in Christ. It may be that you don't speak about it. It may mean that you're inconsistent with it. It may mean that uh, you're practice, practicing it where it's convenient and not practicing Christianity where it isn't. I don't know. But it means that you're being a coward in some way, shape, or form with your faith in Christ if no one is ever offended by your faith in Christ. I'm not saying not offended by Christianity collectively. I'm saying offended by your faith in Christ. On the other hand, I also want to say this, though, because this is important for you to understand, too. If you're constantly offensive, if you're constantly clashing with people over your beliefs and practices, may I suggest that you're not being persecuted by people for righteousness' sake, you're being persecuted by people for obnoxiousness' sake. You are being obnoxious, you're being, being abrasive, you're majoring in the minors, you're fighting over everything, you're acting like a victim all the time, you're always being judgmental, you're being very unwise in the way you speak. And if you add personal obnoxiousness to the natural offense of the gospel, you're going to find yourself constantly being offensive and really not very attractive to anybody. According to Jesus, if you find yourself always being offensive or never being offensive, if you find yourself always being attractive or never being attractive, there's something wrong in your expression of Christianity. Something wrong in your expression of Christianity. I think I told you some time ago, I went to the uh, LGBT community uh, here in the city of Evansville, and I tried to reach out to them. I tried to give them an opportunity to tell me uh, in a large setting like this, for everyone in the LGBT community that wanted to be there, to give them an opportunity to just take all of their anger at the stuff that they had been told, taught about Christianity and what Christianity thinks about these people. I gave them the opportunity to tell me anything that they wanted to tell me, to just lay it all on me, to just tell me how badly they were hurt, to blame me for all of that, to let them blame me, but just to give me one chance during that time to say, um, look, let me tell you, here's what we really believe. Here's what we really believe. And they were so offended that I wanted to do that that they didn't want to have me there. Now, I'm not, please, don't, don't think that I'm saying that everybody in the LGBT community was offended. Not, I'm not saying that everyone in the LGBT community can't be saved. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that the people that I was working with chose not to do this because they were offended I wanted to say something about Christ. See, sometimes... Sometimes you're going to be very attractive to people. And then sometimes you're going to be very offensive to people. And that's what, that's what Jesus was. Sometimes attractive. Sometimes offensive. Did you see, I don't know if you noticed, the real put down in this passage. Did you, did, I don't know if you noticed it. It happens when they ask all those questions about Jesus back in verse, uh, verses 3 and following. And one of the questions they ask in verse 3 is this. You've got you to see this. They ask this. Isn't this Mary's son? 
Did you remember I told you to circle or underline that? Remember? Okay. Understand, this is a patriarchal society. Very patriarchal society. And a person's name, their descent, their lineage is always traced through the father. It's never traced through the mother. So no one is ever named like Jesus bar Mary, which means son of. Jesus bar Mary, it's always Jesus bar Joseph. That's the way it was. So to call, someone's Mary's, to call someone Mary's son, what does that mean? Like you, know, you know what it means. This is the hometown. Like, you can't hide things in a small town. And one of the things you can't hide is when Joseph and Mary get married in June and a baby is born in September. Like, you can't hide that in a small town. Small towns never forget things like that. You know what they're saying here, right? It's scathing. They're saying, you think you're such hot stuff, Jesus, but we don't even know who your father is. You're a nobody. You're a man without a father, which in our culture means that you're a man without an identity. You're nobody. You're a bastard. That's what you are. And you say, how unfair that this disgrace and shame would be assigned to Jesus when he didn't deserve it. Yes. But do you understand something? That's what he came to do. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ truly became a man without a father. You remember he says, he's hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing in that moment the only visceral rejection that can really destroy a person, right? He got the rejection of our God. And he stood in our place and he took the penalty and punishment for everything that we've ever deserved and anything we've ever done. And he did it voluntarily. He did it out of love. He got the ultimate rejection from his father so that we got the ultimate rejection acceptance and as a result now we're children of the king we're children of the father we are sons and daughters we have a name we have a place that means we can take any other kind of rejection that there is look it doesn't matter what the world calls you it doesn't matter what they say it doesn't matter that they're offended by you who cares what they think who cares what the peasants think when you have the love of the king of the universe The closer that you get in heart and life to what Jesus has done, to that ultimate visceral rejection that he took on the cross, the more that you will become the most attractive and the most offensive person. Now let me just be honest. Let's all of us be honest. Most of us aren't either one. You know that. We're just kind of blah, most of us. We're just kind of blah. Not necessarily attractive, not necessarily offensive, just kind of blah. But if you ask God to make this truth real to your life, you might actually start to become the attractive, offensive people who can really change the city of Evansville. Notice around the corner, notice uh, banners on the side of the room. The very last banner says that we want to change the city of Evansville. We do. We want to change the city of Evansville. 
along with a whole group of other people who are Christians in this city. But that means, in order for us to change the city of Evansville, that every one of us has to be attractive and offensive. And if you're one, not the other, you're being a coward. Or you're being abrasive. Got to be both. Attractive and offensive. And when we do that, oh my, we can change the city of Evansville. Let the gospel of Jesus' ordinariness, let it offend you today. I want you to understand it and I want you to grasp it. Go home today. Take some time this afternoon and just let it really offend you to the core of your being. And then you'll begin to get the gospel. And it'll change your life and it'll change the city of Evansville. Bow with me for prayer if you would. Our Lord Jesus Christ, today, this afternoon, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would drive the gospel home into the hearts of every single person in this room, no matter how long that they have been a Christian, no matter how long that they have been bowing at the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that today you would drive the offense of the gospel home in every soul. And I pray that as a result it would make them mad. And Lord, for those that are here today that maybe they haven't followed Christ, maybe, maybe they're a skeptic, maybe they're here today, they've been sitting in church for many years of their lives, but they've never come to a place where they have said, yes, I, I believe that I need a Lord and a Savior. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe that you're the only Savior in the world. Be mine. Lord, I pray that the gospel would offend them today but that it would offend them to a point that they would recognize their need and that they would indeed bow their knee to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we wrestle with the truth of the gospel, let it offend us, but Lord, let it offend us in a way that we are driven to you. And Lord, let us be a people as a church that is both attractive and offensive because we are not cowards about our faith in Christ. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.